style, looking forward to a home uh, that you've never been to, a place that uh, Jesus is preparing for you. And today we're going to look at a little bit more about these exiles that are described here, that are the recipients of this letter, <clears throat> that he describes them as being where they are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so it's a, it's a good thing for us to, to, to settle in and think about this, because one of the things that happens to us often, or at least it happens to me, is... I look around in my life and I think, how did I get here? <laughs> how, how did this happen? What, 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 uh, what were the circumstances that led me to be at the particular place doing the particular stuff I'm doing? How, how did this happen? And so uh, sometimes it seems to me, it looks to me an awful lot like things uh, happen by accident. Uh, but what, what Peter wants these people who are struggling, who are suffering as exiles to know that they are where they are, but more importantly, they are who they are uh, by virtue of the work and the plan of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so that's a, it's important for us to, uh, to think about that <clears throat> as we interact with the Scripture today. Let me read to you 1 Peter uh, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's printed in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. Uh, this is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Uh, this, this week... Um, I saw two stories on the news that related to exiles and refugees. One was a happy story, one was a terrible story. The happy story uh, was about a local family who is making it here in Richmond, all smiles, beautiful home, everything. They were people who were exiles as a result of Katrina 10 years ago from New Orleans. And they've come to Richmond and they've settled in here and life is good. In fact, it's better than it was uh, when they were in New Orleans. They're doing great. And uh, the kids look good. The, the dads look good. Every, you know, the mom, everybody. It's just one big happy story. They were ecstatic and excited to be here. And it was, it was really encouraging, you know, that, to see and to, to hear that. And I thought, wow, that, that's awesome, you know. And <clears throat> they came to Richmond, and they like Richmond better than New Orleans. So, uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it, was a, it was a great thing. It was a great story. Then I saw a story of a refugee of a teenage boy, a Syrian, uh, who was walking through Europe. Now, you know, American kids go to Europe and walk and hike all the time, don't they? Right? Sounds like, sounds like a fun thing. Well, he's fleeing his city, Aleppo in Syria, that has been destroyed. Uh, he is by himself, he's 18 years old, hasn't been in school in four years, and when they caught up with him, this news story, he was walking through Serbia on his way to try to get to Germany. Because if he can get to Germany, then, then he's in the European Union, and he can get some benefits, and, and then he has the possibility of bringing his family, who's still in Syria, uh, there. He's almost out of money, almost out of food, and he's walking. In fact, he said one day he walked 30 miles. That was his record. Um, and the, the, the news reporter, typical American, asked him, like, well, you know, 
isn't this dangerous? <laughs> and he was like, well, where I'm from is dangerous. <laughs> you know, so, so uh, and that was kind of a dead-end street. There was kind of no hope or, or no sense that things were ever going to get better there. And so, you know, I'm, I'm doing this for the sake of my family to try to get somewhere where we can actually uh, have a life, Right? Um, and so, the, so when, we, when we hear this and we, we think about people who are exiled, people who are refugees, people who are scratching and, and, and searching in the world for a place because of suffering, because of difficulty and that sort of thing, Peter is addressing those people directly. And what he's, he wants them to understand a, a, a number of things about them. And one of the things that is so important about that, and one of the things that is maybe one of the most the, the best and most pastoral things that the gospel of Jesus Christ can say to us is, you don't get anywhere by accident. In fact, in fact, uh, your identity in Christ, the fact that he knows you, the fact that you know him, the fact that he has called you into a particular relationship with himself, the fact that he's called you into a particular relationship with his people, all of those things have been on the mind and heart of God from eternity past. Now, this gets kind of hard for us to think about, and, and, and you know, you, you start thinking about all these philosophical questions about how could that be, but the thing that, that Peter wants exiles to know, and in fact, the thing that exiles need to know is they are where they are, they are who they are, not because they decided to do it, not because on a whim they did something, not because of anything like that, but in, in, in the mysterious, wonderful, powerful grace of God, he has ordained it such that they were born, they lived, they heard the gospel, and by act, the activity of the Holy Spirit on them, they believed. And now everything about them has changed, and the fact that though they may live in exile, they may feel like they are homeless, they may feel like there is no place for them in the world, actually, God has been about the business of knowing them and making a place for them from eternity past. I remember years ago uh, being criticized by guys way smarter than I am uh, about uh, our... Uh, focus here uh, on grace and particularly uh, the fatherhood of God. And he said to me, you know what, you know, I know it's in the Bible. I know adoption's in the Bible. <laughs> okay, whew, that's good. I'm glad I didn't make that one up. But he's like, uh, I know adoption's in the Bible, and I know that it says that God's your father, but what difference does that make to the man in South Sudan who is being persecuted for his faith. Do you think he really cares that God's his father? And I thought, gee whiz, what, what could be more, what, what could matter more? What, what could be more important at that moment than knowing that as you are suffering, as you are struggling, as you risk losing everything in this life, that you are where you are by the work of God, and that he sees, he hears, he knows, and even in the midst of the most terrible circumstances, he is for you, and he has always been for you. 
it's so important for us to, to remember that because the, the fact is most of the evidence, most of the stuff that comes at us in life, like these exiles, like their suffering, like their persecution, their, their struggle with hope uh, is, is, is so profound. You see, one of the things that, that happened to them and that happens to us, and one of the things that Peter's going to revisit over and over again is you can have hope today, but the hope that we have is not what we tend to think it will be. Our hope tends to be, if I can just get to Germany, everything will be fine, right? Just like that Syrian boy. If I can just get that relationship, if I can just get that job, I am hoping for that. And if I get that, then everything will come up roses. And there's nothing wrong with hoping for these temporary blessings that we experience now. But the truth is, the hope that we were made for and the hope that is made for us is so much grander and so much bigger. And it is the only hope that will sustain you when all other hopes, lesser hopes, fail you. So uh, what do these exiles uh, uh, what do they need to know first and foremost? Well, the thing that they need to know first and foremost, the very first thing he tells them, the very first thing he tells them is that they are known and loved not because of performance, not because they're doing a good job, not because of ethnic identity, not because they are uh, of, of a particular ethnicity, not because they're uh, of Jewish origin or other origin, right? That. That is, that is not, uh, uh, that's not key. Not because they're particularly gifted or talented, right? Uh, not because they have particular sets of things that they can do that make them unique. And not even because of suffering, which is a favorite of ours, right? That sometimes we will think, well, people who suffer, you know, we, we never feel, feel this for ourselves, but sometimes we look at somebody else who's suffering and we think it must, it's, there's a profound thing there that God must be doing in their lives. We, we probably don't think that about ourselves uh, too often when we're suffering, but we may think, well, God loves the suffering, the poor, uh, 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 in, in a particular way. Well, the fact is, what, what Peter wants us to understand, what he wants these exiles to understand, it's not that, right? It, we are loved. What we need to know is that we are loved because he, the triune God, that is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, has loved them, has loved us, is loving us, and will love us, and is at work to demonstrate that love from eternity and time and space in their lives right now. The, the thing that is, is so profound about that is, is that there's, we need an underpinning under our feet and under our lives to help us sort out what's going on, the, the struggles, the difficulties, the challenges, the, the, thing, the conundrums that we have in our life. And the one thing that we can rest in as a, as a, as a certainty and as an a, a surety is this, that God has had us on his mind from before we ever existed, from before the world existed, from before the furthest star out existed, before any of that stuff existed, God knew you, and he loved you. Next slide. So what is it that he says about us here? Well, the first thing he says is that we are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Now, foreknowledge is something that a lot of you have been praying for this week because you've been setting up your uh, fantasy football leagues. 
<laughs> I know this. <laughs> I know this because the, the guys in my Friday morning group, that's what they were talking about. I don't do this because my personal opinion, and I know this is controversial, I think it ruins sports. Because last time I checked, football was a team sport, not an individual sport. There. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, they were all talking about how they were competing and sweating, and, and, and one guy's wife was not going to be able to sleep all night because she was so upset about the way the draft went and all that stuff. So we think, what we think about that is if I could just look into the future and tell who's going to have a great year, I would have that foreknowledge, and I could, I could really clean up with my, uh, my, my uh, football what is that thing called? Uh, fantasy football thing. But the fact is, that when the Bible uses the word foreknowledge, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean God looked into the future of the NFL season and, and saw who was going to have a great year. It doesn't mean he looks into the future and says Steve Shelby will believe on a Sunday night when he's nine years old hearing... Uh, the gospel. It means much more than that. The cause of their salvation, our salvation, is not that they reached out to a distant God, but that God chose to relate to them and form them into a people, his people. Thus the use of the term father for God is especially apt for it indicates the loving concern with which God chose to know them. Right now, one of the things that one of the things that you have to understand about this is when the Bible talks about people knowing one another, when he, when it talks about that kind of knowledge, there's there are different ways that that's described. That I can I can know um, you by the fact that I know what you look like, I know where you work, I, I know who uh, you're related to, I know who your friends are, I know those sorts of things, and and that's that's a certain type of knowledge. But I know my wife, Marty, in ways that no one else knows, knows her. She knows me in a way in which no one else knows me, right? And so there's a deep, personal, intimate knowledge that's, that's described here. That's what this is talking about, that the, 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 this God that we're talking about, this relationship that we're in, this exile that we experience is all part of this thing that the Father knows us, and that knowledge of us is an intimate, deep, and abiding concern and affection for us. Next slide. So these Christians are God's chosen people because he's known them from all eternity. Now, you know, one of the things that is so uh, challenging about that is, is that just blows our concepts of love away. Because we, when, when, when typically when we say to someone uh, or we say that we love someone, we want to say why. Well, I love them because they're cute or I love them because they serve in a certain way or, or whatever. But, but the divine love, the love of God, is love in a way without reason, without need. And so, so what, what's happening here is these Christians are God's chosen people because he's known them from all eternity. Jesus Christ was foreknown by the Father before the world was created. Peter says in verse 20 here, he, speaking of Jesus, was foreknown. Does that mean God had some, knew Jesus 
before him. It, it must mean that he knew him, that he loved him before the foundation of the world, was, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. So, so what we see here is, is that the, the fact is that our existence in the world, where we're going, what we're doing, all of those things are because God loves us, and he loves a particular people, and it's not just some kind of general love, but it's a specific love to you. Uh, one of the mysteries of life to me is when we were in uh, the stage of life where we were having babies, you know, <clears throat> Marty would find out she was pregnant, and uh, immediately she loved that child in, in, in ways that, honestly, I loved, I certainly loved the idea of the baby, I, but it wasn't personal to me in a sense, you know, it, it just, it was happening to her and it was happening to us, but it was happening to her in much more profound ways than it was happening to me. And she loved that child. She, she was knowing that child even before they were born, right? So that's, a, that's kind of a sense of what, of what Peter's getting at here. So the chosen people of Christ are also foreknown by the Father. Their inclusion in the people of God is no accident, no afterthought, but God's purpose from the beginning. Those who are foreknown by God are foreknown in and with Christ. The expression foreknowledge does not mean that God had information in advance about Christ or about his elect. Rather, it means that both Christ and his people were the objects of God's loving concern from all eternity. Now, how is this practical? Well, I can tell you how it's practical in a, in, a, in a pretty profound way. People who are certain, regardless of circumstance, but people who are certain that the love of God is theirs, people who know that they have a Father in heaven, who know that they have a destiny, who know that they belong, who know that Jesus Christ uh, is, uh, has uh, lived, died, and risen again for them, people who know that, People who understand that relate to the world in a way much differently than people who don't know that. When uh, Jack Miller first went to Uganda to uh, minister to orphans, one of the things he was horrified to find out is, is that uh, often uh, these, you know, we tend to think of orphans kind of in the Dickensian, Dickens way, you know, like, like they're, they're kind of righteous people who are, um, if you just give them a break, They'll just, they'll just be terrific people. Um, and, and what he discovered was is that because no one cared for them and no one provided for them, uh, uh, and because they felt all alone in the world, uh, that they, they were fighters. They were scrappers. Uh, and that uh, you didn't want to turn your back on them because uh, they would steal you blind. They had to because there was no one to care for them, no one to provide for them. So in the rough and tumble of life, if I believe that I'm all alone and it's just up to me that there's no God who's loved me, who's seen me, who has placed me in these particular circumstances because of his plan and his, his concern uh, and his care for me, then what am I going to be like? I am going to be uh, out only for myself. I am going to be uh, scared to death uh, that someone won't care for me, that I won't be provided for, that my destiny and that my home is not secure, right? Makes you confident, not in a boastful way, but in the way a child plays and, and, and lives uh, with a father who is kind and gentle and caring uh, for them. So this old, if, you're, if you're thinking today, uh, 
If you're having a struggle with loving people, if you're having a struggle feeling jealous of other people, if you're having a struggle today of feeling like uh, <clears throat> no one loves you, remember this, that the love of God has been set upon you from eternity past and has been manifested in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and even more so in the fact that you have heard the gospel and you've believed it. Next slide. Secondly, he says that this has happened to us in or by means of uh, the sanctification of the Spirit. Not only did God set his love upon you, but he established the means whereby you would believe. Right? So it's not just that God says, I love you, but he has made it such that his love set upon you is effective, and it's effective not just because it changes you, it changes you because God has ensured that it changes you by giving you and operating upon you by his Holy Spirit, right? And so what he means here is that in, in or by means of the sanctification of the Spirit, this, this sanctification has two primary meanings. First is the cleansing from past sin. When, what we realize there is, is that when we come to faith in Christ, when, when we believe the Holy Spirit cleanses us, changes us, washes us clean, all of that guilt, all of that brokenness, all of those things are done away with once and for all. Now, that's hard for us to believe, isn't it? Because if you're like me, in my mind, you know, it, I, can, I can replay sins that I committed 25, 30 years ago. But you know what? I can replay them in my mind all I like. But the fact is, in God's mind, they're washed away. He sanctified me. He's cleansed me of, of all of that. But not only that, the, the, the Holy Spirit actually enters into my life and changes the way I live. He gives me a lifestyle that expresses our identity as God's chosen in practical holiness. In other words, my life begins to change. I look around me and all of a sudden I begin to think, you know what? Uh, I, um, I, <laughs> I have the ability now to love somebody. I have the ability now to to uh, act in such a way towards someone else where I can care for them, where I can tell them the truth, where I can provide some sort of care for them, and, and in, a, in an odd way, not expect a payback. Suddenly, my love changes from being contractual. That is, I will love you if you love me. And not only that, I, I love you in the way that you want to be loved, and then you must love me in the way I want to be loved. But simply, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to trust the results, entrust the results of that into God's hands, right? So this lifestyle will express our identity as God's chosen in practical holiness. It changes people. People, people become different, different as a result of this. <clears throat> it is amazing to see how people get changed. It is amazing. And so, so the, the fact is that, that God's love is made manifest in, in us, not just in the fact now that we know that we're loved, but it mani is manifest in, in our lives now by the reality of a changed life. We begin to live differently. Uh, we begin to get bothered when, uh, uh, when we do things that we know we're not supposed to do. It, it, <clears throat> maybe you are a chronic liar. And when you the spirit operated on you. Now, you lie, and it just kills you. It just kills you. You repent. That's the work. That's the evidence of the spirit. I know that the spirit is at work in me when I sin, and I repent. I turn away from it. I'm like, I do not want to live like that any longer. Help me, help me, help me. 
Thirdly, he says that he did this by means of the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. Such love demands a response. Um, when, when you say, when, when you're uh, in a dating relationship with someone uh, and um, you have that uh, um, discussion about the status of the relationship, you know that. Everybody who's dated someone, who is dating someone, sooner or later, you got to have the conversation. What's the nature of our relationship? Right? Yep, the Robles did it. They're nodding their heads, and they've got three boys, so we know what the status of their relationship was. <laughs> right? You got to have that conversation. And and you, and you got to say, you got to put your cards on the table and you got to say, this is what I think. And then, then the, the person that you to say that to, they've got to say it back to you, right? Um, and it's a terrifying experience in many ways because you're like, oh no, you know, I'm going to put my cards out on the table or I'm going to tell them I love you. And, and they're going to say back, you know, well, you know, I, uh, you're a nice guy. <laughs> Let's be friends. <laughs> I just want to be your friend, right? Um, yeah, friendship. That thing that we scratch, scrap so much for just comes up a little short at that moment, right? So, but the fact is, when we come to grips with the reality of God's love for us, how vast and great it is, how, how profound it is, it demands a response in us. And the response that, that, that we have is this faith that is believing what has been told to us, believing what we have heard, and then obeying. And obeying is believing and then submitting ourselves to the one who loves us, to the one who's given up everything for us, for the one who died for us, for the one who rose again for us, and that was, was set on a mission to do that from eternity past before we even breathed our first. And so it's a, it's a, it's a powerful thing to see that though we may be exiles and though the world may hate us and though we may be struggling and we may be suffering and we may have all of these sorts of issues going on in our lives, the fact of the matter is, the, 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 the truth is, as we, as we struggle through this, as we walk through this, we can see and understand that God is at work in all of this and that his love demands continuing, his love demands a continuing response from us, right? And, and we take him at his word, we follow him, and we sense and understand that his love sets us free to live the life that he, he calls on us to live. Next slide. And then finally, he says, for sprinkling by his blood. Now, you, you may have read this and you may have thought, wow, you know, I, I like the thing about uh, sanctification and I like the thing about God loving me. I like that I'm changing in my obedience to Jesus Christ. But what about sprinkling with his blood? That, you know, I don't like it when we sing about blood. I don't like it. I don't like the word about blood that just seems so nasty. That just seems so um, uh, primitive. Right? So why would Peter throw that in here? Why would he say, in all of these kind of great, theological truths about our identity in the world, about how much God loves us, why would he say then for sprinkling by his blood? Well, uh, when God brought his people out of Egypt, out of bondage, one of the things that he did for them is when he made his covenant with them, when he locked them into a relationship with himself once and for all, permanent, 
he marked them by sprinkling them with blood. Moses uh, threw blood on the people. Now, we hear that and we think, you know, that's a, wow, you know, that's something. Well, uh, it is something. Because what it means is we're sealed by this, that we are marked by this, that the sprinkling of this blood on us means that we belong to God now and forever. And nothing can change that. Um, One of the things I have struggled with all my life is discouragement that leads to quitting. Um, I, uh, I, I will quit something like that. The first time I run into difficulty, I quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. This is stupid. Frustration to me is like worse than fingernails on a blackboard. If <clears throat> I need life to be smooth, and the second I run into something that's difficult, that's frustrating, I want to quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, The reason why I know this is true is I see it manifest in my children's lives sometimes. They're just like me. And they'll run into something and they'll quit. Now, what makes this even harder is in this day and age, uh, when so much of life, particularly if you're a 20-year-old, is done with an electronic device. So I had a conversation with one of my kids this week where it was like, I can't get this Thing to work. And I have a deadline. I've got 15 minutes and I keep hitting the button to send it and it won't work. Will you do it for me? Which I'm like, hey, you're asking the 55-year-old uh, to do something with a computer? I've arrived. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm walking through it and I get to the point where he's like, and this is the point where it always, it, it's not working. It, it's frustrating. So I click the button and the little things on my computer is going like this. And so I'm sitting here looking at it. And he's like, see? See? And it took about 20 seconds. And then it went through. And I'm like, well, I just did it. <laughs> you just had to wait a few seconds. He's like... Well, it just wouldn't work on my end. It just, it just wouldn't take it. It just, I don't, I don't know what it was, but it just wouldn't, it just, uh, whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, why don't you give me your smartphone and let's learn patience. <laughs> that we have to wait on things sometimes. And then I told him, I'm like, you know what? I get this. I'm just like that. I get frustrated. I, I don't, I, you know. I can't stand to wait. And when I run into things where things don't seem to happen the way I want them to or fall into place the way I want them to or, <clears throat> or that God is not making my life as easy as I want it to be, I get frustrated and I want to quit. There's the, the woman who is dying to get married, who believes in Jesus who, who struggles to believe that, that Jesus loves her because she can't find a man who will love her. And she's tempted to change her lifestyle of purity because she thinks in her frustration, if I quit living the way Jesus wants me to live, maybe I'll get a husband. 
there's the person who is struggling at work who wants to um, advance, uh, but their advancement may require them to step on another person, lie, cheat, steal someone else's glory, right? And we, we see that and we think about that and we think, well, I know Jesus would not have me do that, but you know what? I'm a, Jesus, it's not working out so well. I'm going to quit on you and do this now to, to move myself forward. I really need to get into the college that I want to get into. I need to do well on this test, so I'm going to cheat. There's a million examples like this. What we have to see here is, and what the, the wonder of being foreknown by God is, is that I didn't decide that God would love me. God decided he would love me. He's the one who acted. He's the one who came to me. He's the one who's done this. So all, this is his idea. I can't quit him because I didn't start on him. I didn't choose him. He chose me. He came to me. He called out to me. He drew me. He loved me. And so I don't have the right to say I quit. I couldn't say I quit if I wanted to. These exiles, Peter says, the hope that you have, the sustaining love of God that you have will keep you from quitting. And you can't quit because God has not quit and will not quit on you. Exiles need to know that. Let's pray. Lord, we, we need a sense of this today. Forgive us for our own frustration and our own uh, temptation to throw in the towel, to quit on you, to quit on this relationship, uh, to quit on... Uh, the work that you have done, the love that you have declared to us in time and in space in Jesus Christ. Help us today to uh, entrust ourselves to you, to know that you know us and you have known us and you have loved us. Lord, I know that uh, for many uh, in this room, uh, uh, the issues, the hard things of life, seems so much bigger uh, than uh, these words on this page. And yet the people who received this word as elect exiles foreknown by you and Jesus Christ, this was life to them. It sustained them. Uh, it kept them. And in many ways, these words, this hope, this love, uh, is what has sustained the church down to this very day. And so would you do that uh, in us? Lord, for those who are tempted today to quit, uh, would you remind them that you have not quit? Lord, to, for those uh, who are tempted to deny their identity as being known and loved by you, would you um, remind them of how profound this love is and demand the response of faith and obedience from such great love? 
And Lord, for those who are just so broken and unable to take a step, would you carry them? Would you pick us up and lead us and provide for us in your fatherly love and care, uh, even uh, when we are tempted to turn our backs on you? Lord, we, we are needy, broken, dying people. And so to know that you have and you do and you always will love us, uh, by your spirit, sustain us with that today, we pray. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, as the guys come up to take